welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, TNT analyst Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans, Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Elliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith. And Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com, joining you live from the hotel room here in Dallas. Uh, Micah Hart, my super producer, is back in the studio in Atlanta, filling in for uh, my co-host Lang Whitaker. Lang, uh, get it together, brother. Make sure you get your rest, and we'll see you next week. You need a little uh, rest and relaxation time there, Micah. But, uh, you know, we are in the midst of the the truly chaotic and beautiful portion of the NBA season right now, Mike, with playoffs, you know, games every day, fantastic games, um, you know, two weekends in now of playoff basketball that has been, I don't know, I, I don't even know how you get any better than this, and then the games come on, you know, the very next day and, and it tops it. Um, have you been Have you been trying to steal as much time as you can to enjoy the games when you're not plugging away and working all the time? I've been trying. We've been uh, we moved into a new house this weekend, so I, nice. uh, it's been a little little more rough going. Uh, but finally got the cable set up. I, I gotta say, I can't remember a playoffs like this one, uh, at least of recent vintage. You know, I always say that the NBA playoffs is the one where you know upsets don't really happen. The best teams always win, and I mean maybe that will still end up playing out. Obviously, most games are or most series are only you know four games in, but. I can't figure out heads or tails some of these series that you figured one team was for sure going to dominate or win easily and just hadn't been the case. I, I don't even know where to begin, um, you know, with how these things have, have broken down because, like most people, I had, you know, some things in mind in terms of who I thought would, would be the, you know, the, the favorites or who would dominate or, uh, you know, dictate the pace of these series. And basically everything I thought, save for, uh, you know, I, I knew the series that I'm covering, the Blazers and Mavericks, would probably be a six or seven game, you know, series. Uh, certainly couldn't plan on Brandon Roy doing what he's done and some of the other dramatics that have happened. But, uh, you know, this, as of right now, we got one team that's that's already, you know, punched his ticket for the next round. Uh, the Boston Celtics sweep, sweep the New York Knicks. But everybody else is still... I mean, even Chicago and Miami are still, you know, having to do some serious work to get out of their series in the first round. And and then there are teams like the Lakers and the the Spurs who are caught in the matrix. I mean, the Spurs are – I don't want to beat the drum again for my hang time Grizzlies, but, boy, those boys – the kids from Memphis aren't looking bad, Mike. I I totally agree. I think they have absolutely proved that they're legitimate. And the amazing thing to me is, of course, they're doing this without Rudy Gay. I mean, you figure most teams, you know, at the bottom half of the standings, if you lose your best player, your second best player, something like that, you figure, well, that's about a wrap. But they're doing all this, and they look – I mean, at this point, if they win that series, I don't even know if I'll be that surprised. 
I'm surprised. We talk, I'm running for mayor of Memphis if they win that series. <laughs> I'm just. I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm moving to uh, Shelby County and running for mayor of Memphis. Everybody, I just want everybody to know that I'm, Donald Trump can have <clears throat> the White House if he thinks he can win it, but I know I can win mayor of Memphis. But uh, I, I don't. I think the one thing that I'm really impressed with is, and I and I tweeted about this last night during the Lakers game. I think right after the Lakers game. All of the underdogs, you know, normally you have a situation where some team slides into the playoffs and they're just happy to be there, and then they get bounced around and knocked out in four games. None of the underdogs, including the Knicks, went away quietly. I mean, the Knicks, their first two games, they actually put up a fight. Um, But nobody has just been dismissed, you know, in these playoff games. I thought Philadelphia, what they did Sunday beating the Heat, was dramatic, and and, it only makes you – that much more impressed with the job that Doug Collins has done uh, with that team. And a guy like, you know, Drew Holiday and and Thaddeus Young, you know, I, I love how he kind of bowed up a little bit yesterday uh, and showed some toughness. I think this is a chance, as, as Doug Collins was talking about, where, you know, a team gets a chance to grow up a little bit. And you watched it a few years ago when your Atlanta Hawks were, were in that first-round series against Boston and nobody expected that thing to go seven. Um there's something about the playoffs for young players that allows them to I don't know I don't know if mature is the right word because it's hard to say you spend a whole year playing and then you spend two weeks in the playoffs and you all of a sudden make this giant leap in maturity. But I just think the experience that you gain from being in the in a in the pressure cooker that is the playoffs does a lot for a talented young group's uh future if they're willing to, to fight the way we've seen some of these teams do. Well, and give it up a little bit for uh, Evan Turner, former podcast guest. You know, uh, a lot yes. of people have kind of were you know a little down on him, seemed like, but for his his uh, first year in the league, but huge game yesterday. Yeah, he showed up. I'm, who who's so far has been your? And it's a cheap question, but I mean, who so far has been your playoff MVP? Who's the guy that you say, all right, this is the this is the most valuable guy of the playoffs so far? I mean, I guess it's got to be Chris Paul. Uh, I, I can't, you know, part of me wants to say a little bit Zach Randolph, but just the work he's doing against the Lakers. I mean, you kind of felt like, all right, the Lakers' weakness has always been point guards, and if there was one way you could possibly hurt them, it would be that matchup between Chris Paul and you know Steve Blake and and uh, Derek Fisher and those guys. But I mean, the work he's, I mean, he's, you know, I mean, and not to take anything away from the rest of the team, but it just seems like when he plays like that, who knows what could happen? Who do you think is the the most likely uh, shocker victim here in this first round. I mean, you know, the Spurs are down right now to to my Grizzlies. Um, you know, it's two two in Mavs Blazers, two two in in Lakers Hornets. I mean, there's there's the potential for somebody to somebody who's supposed to win to go home. You know, uh, sad face. Who do you think is the team that's that might be in the most danger? Well, I mean, obviously, I guess it's got to be Orlando. Although to say that they uh, you know what? Not even to say that they were expected to win. They were absolutely expected to win. Uh, I don't even know what to do with my Hawks because they're up 3-1, <laughs> and I'm excited about it because they're my team, but I don't feel like they've played particularly well. They're just playing less poorly than the Magic. <laughs> I think the other thing the playoffs has done, for me uh, at least, is it has exposed some weaknesses on some of these teams that uh that that aren't really highlighted in the course of an 82 game season. You know, the Lakers have been able to get by really last season and this one during the regular season because they don't have to play the the uber elite point guards night after night, but watching the way Chris Paul has taken apart uh 
you know, uh, Derek Fisher has been. Whew, I mean, if you're, if you're the Lakers, you know, you never thought you'd be sitting up in April saying, "Boy, we were sure missed Jordan Farmer," you know. Um, but you you certainly are. You certainly at a disadvantage if, if you're an elite team and you have a glaring mismatch at the one position where the other team, you know, is at its very best. And Chris Paul, the discrepancy between Chris Paul and Derek Fisher in terms of ability and, and production and everything else is startling. I mean, the Lakers are lucky David West is hurt and that, you know, the, the, the Hornets don't have more firepower to go along with Chris Paul because, to me, they could be in, in a real danger zone if if they don't figure out a way – to get back to dominating the game inside. And then the other thing you got to remember is Kobe Bryant twists his, you know, foot a little bit and now he's in a walking boot and there's no, you know, there's some kind of question about how healthy he will be uh, for the rest of the series. That That's dangerous if you're the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, you just hate to think that injuries, you know, they, they always end up playing a role one way or another. But uh, I guess that's kind of been a little part of this postseason so far. It's been a little disappointing. You know, Manu Ginobili being hurt. Kobe tweaks his ankle, Chauncey Billups goes out, Amari Stoudemire. And, you know, you want to, you just like the, the idea of all getting to see all these teams playing at full strength uh, going head-to-head. But, you know, that's part of it. And God, God help Chicago if, uh, if Derrick Rose ends up being out for a little while. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to go there. You have the whole Midwest, uh, you know, in a funk if, if Derrick Rose is, is out for a while. Uh, speaking of the Midwest, Micah, and I know we're talking heavy, heavy playoffs, um, but there's other there's other news going on around the NBA. There are other teams that are that are busy doing business right now, and uh, one team in particular that we have talked about here on the on the Hangtime Podcast many a day, uh, a team that's well versed in playoff experience uh, of the, the past decade is the Detroit Pistons. Recently sold, and uh, curious to know what kind of operation they're going to be going forward. You know, Joe Dumars. It's it's already been stated that he's going to be sticking around as the team president, which is, is good news for Pistons fans. Um, but the team itself and kind of where they're headed, we got a, got a friend of the program who's finally making his Hang Time podcast debut. Joining us now from the Detroit News is uh, our good friend Vincent Goodwill, uh, Pistons beat writer and smack talker extraordinaire, man. Glad to have you on the show finally, Vince. Um, let me ask you real quick, who, who suits up for the Pistons next season? Let's see. Um, they got X amount. They got a few guys. They got a few roster spots open. So they can sign me for the league minimum. I think you about worth a two-year deal, say, too, since you, you got a little, you know, got a little experience on you, got a little beef on the inside. And uh, Micah, you know, you, you might you might be worth a 10-day. So <laughs> I'm a streaky three-point shooter. That that might be, you know what, that that might be it. But you, to be honest with you, I think there's only four definites. That I, really? that I think will be in Piston uniforms next year. I think Joe Dumars has had the handcuffs on him for the past two years, and I think he's ready to get back and, uh, you know, put the sledgehammer to this ball club. How tough is it for them, you know, for fans in Detroit to uh, to sit back and have to watch the playoffs now after being in the middle of the mix for so long in the Eastern Conference? You know what I'm saying? Six straight trips to the Eastern Conference Finals, dominated you know, the, the conference, you know, all those years. What's it like now sitting up there watching the playoffs and watching Chicago back on, you know, Indiana, another division rival back in the mix and, and no Pistons? You you know what? It's so foreign to them. I don't think they know exactly what to do. <laughs> you know, because like you said, from 2002, the Pistons are used to playing in late May, early June, and right. a, a nice long playoff run. And 
fans are used to being able to bellyache after the season is over in, in June about, oh, we only made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now that seems now fans would would kill to be playing and you know to be at that stage again. So it's a different feeling. And say, cool, you know it. You've been covering the league a long time. You know, teams go through this thing, this transition, these processes where a run ends and there is no. We haven't seen a seamless transition from one successful group to another successful group without there being some downtime. And you know, the Pistons have experienced this before with the Bad Boys and their downturn, and then the Grand Hill era and everything else. So. It's such a foreign feeling. I think fans got so used to trudging through up I-75 during the winter and then, you know, up 75 again, you know, when the weather got nice. That that was usually like an annual rite of spring was the Pistons playoffs. That's when you knew the weather was about to turn was because, you know, these guys were, these guys were getting into it. And, and it's really a difficult feeling for these guys because they don't know how to deal with it. The fans, they don't know anything else. Right. Vincent, from what you've seen with the the fans, do 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 they still believe that Joe is the guy that can uh, can rebuild? I mean, he he did it once before, you know, taking them from, you know, they were kind of at the bottom, you know, building the championship team. Do you think uh, is there still that trust that he can do the job again? I I think the trust is still there for the most part. I think the difficult thing for fans to understand is this year with everything that's happened over this year with the Richard Hamilton stuff, with you know the the shoot around in Philadelphia and everything else that. Joe Dumars has been more so in the background, and he hasn't been able to actually step out and do anything. And I think fans look at that inactivity as some form of, you know, as some form of him not not being capable of doing his job when those of us in the know, and I'm quite sure all of you know from watching things around the league, when a team is up for sale, there is no such thing as business as usual. Right. And the team being up for sale just happened to coincide with the closing of an era and, you know, you're trying to transition from a certain group of players to another group of players, and, and it never was able to really fully complete itself. And then the last two years with him having his handcuffs, you know, everything else put on him, you know, Tayshaun Prince is still here, Richard Hamilton is still here, you know, and you're not really sure of a core going forward. So as far as the, the trust, is it fractured? Maybe a little bit, but I think the majority of knowledgeable fans know that, hey, Karen Davidson was selling the team. She was in the process of it. She didn't seem like she wanted it from the point that she got it. And once once she identified that she no longer wanted the team, I think at that point you have to look at it and you have to say, okay, there's nothing that anyone can do significantly to upgrade this roster. And that's where this team has been for the past two years. Wow. Vincent, does, is there a young anchor on the roster right now, or are they – you know, are Joe and his staff really in complete rebuild mode again? I mean, is there one guy you can point to that says this is one of the young pillars that you build? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about Greg Monroe, of course, first and foremost. I, I think Rodney Stuckey and some of those other guys who were acquired the past few years were believed to be those sorts of guys. But is, is Monroe or somebody else, maybe Austin Day, are, are they the, the young pillars for this team going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think Greg Monroe, aside from his early struggles, I mean, he struggled big time early on in the season where he got a few DMPs and he struggled finishing around the basket. And he improved so much, Sekou, from the first of the year on that he was their most consistent player. And that's saying a lot with, with, with a team of, you know, guys like Tayshaun Prince and Rip Hamilton, even though they're, you know, their better days have been behind them. But to say that he's the most improved, not only the most improved player, but the most consistent player, He's definitely an anchor that you can put down there. Whether he plays the four or the five, I think is inconsequential. I think he's probably better at the four. But you can put a shot blocker around him. You can put 
a, a scoring big around him. He can adapt around everything else. He has so much more space to grow as far as, you know, in, in Georgetown, I'm quite sure you all remember, he was he handled the ball. He was a good passer. He didn't really get a chance to display that a lot this year. So there's so much more open terrain for him to go through in the, in the next few seasons. And add to the fact, say, cool, you didn't hear his name in all the craziness this year. Right. If if your most mature guy in the locker room is the guy that's the that is newest to any environment, that says a lot about him. Because it's a, it's very easy for a young guy to get sucked in with all the, the vets and everything else. I think Tayshawn uh, Prince coined the phrase buffoonery, which uh, I have used uh, at nauseum right. on Twitter for the past five to six months. Thank you, Tayshawn. He didn't. Greg Monroe didn't get caught up in that buffoonery, Rodney Stuckey. There, you know, Austin Day may have to a certain extent. But Greg Monroe, all of 20 years old, 20 years old, adapting to a new environment, a coach, and all this craziness, he managed to keep his head, and he improved as the season went on. I think next year he'll be a prime candidate to be a 16 and 12 guy, 17 and 13 type of guy, where you can't measure his ceiling. I think it's I think it's truly that high, and I think a lot of fans were really wanting Demarcus Cousins. They wanted him to fall. They wanted the Pistons to trade up. Now you'd be hard-pressed to find any fan that would say, okay, yeah, I'll trade DeMarcus Cousins for Greg Monroe straight up right now. So do you think that uh, so much of this has been on the on the shoulders of Joe Dumars, but how much of this and of the turmoil and the drama that went on with the Pistons this year was John Kuster and, and really his responsibility and the fact that, you know, it's his, it's his job to, to get that team to play to whatever level they, they're capable of, and I don't think anybody – feels that they played up to their abilities. Certainly, you know, um, being on the outside in, looking at the playoffs, when an Indiana team that won, what, 37 games makes it? Mm-hmm. And you can't get there. I mean, where, where where does his responsibility lie with this season that the Pistons had and and, and kind of the, the breakdown that went on? You know what? I think a lot of it has to fall on them. And, you know, in this business, particularly the NBA, it's a player's, it's a player's league. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, you have to find a way to connect with these guys. You have to find a way to get these guys to play 82 nights out of the year. You know, of course, there's going to be games and periods where you're going through the doldrums and, you know, you're just not going to have it. But when you start off 0-5, and, and, and you know, to be honest, that's where he lost this team. He lost this team when they started off 0-5. When you blow a seven-point lead in a minute 41 seconds against the New Jersey Nets in the season opener, say, cool, when I tell you the locker room was like a morgue that game, I, I said to myself, this might kill them for the rest of the season, and they never got over that. Wow. And to that end, you have to put that on the coach, right? Where there's, there's a sense of lawlessness going on. You know, he and Richard Hamilton were going through their thing. He and Rod- Rodney Stuckey refusing to come into a game. You can't have all of these problems going on and saying, "Okay, this player's an issue. This player's an issue. That player's an issue." Wait a minute. At some point, you as the coach, you're the common denominator in all of this. So you have to take you have to take some responsibility for that. And and don't get me wrong, this team wasn't as talented as a Chicago Bulls or a New York Knicks team. But right. there's no business that there's no way that the Indiana Pacers or the Philadelphia seventy sixers have more talent than this ball club and the Pistons shouldn't have been that far behind them in the playoff race. You see how hard those teams played. Did you see how hard Philly played yesterday? Exactly. How hard Indiana played has played for the entire series against uh, Chicago, whether they've won or not is inconsequential. But how hard they played. We haven't seen that from the Pistons only in spurts this season. And if if it's a question of effort, 
don't you have to put that squarely on the coach, on the shoulders of the head coach? No doubt about it. Vincent Goodwill of the Detroit News dropping knowledge for you here on the Hang Time Podcast. Listen, get the Pistons back in the playoffs so we can talk to you more often. Look, I like that. Look, here's the thing. If I'm in the playoffs more, my face is plastered across NBA.com. I get to talk to Steve Smith and Jerry Stackhouse on NBA TV. You know, this is some perks in it for me, too. Okay, I'm trying to get a 10-day out of this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, you, I like what you're talking about because you keep talking about cash in our pockets. So, you know, you're on the right, you're on the right track, V. I appreciate it's, that. Hey, say cool. You've been here before. You know. <laughs> you already no cash loses everything around me. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. No doubt, man. This <laughs> is Goodwill of the Detroit News. Join us on the Hang Time Podcast. We appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. Be All cool. right. Mike, I know I know we're 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 flying all over the place this week on the Hang Time Podcast, talking, you know, Pistons and and non playoff teams, and we also have to catch up a little bit. You know, the draft is coming, and and we basically ignored it the last few weeks, getting ready for the playoffs. But we do need to catch back up on some of our draft stuff, and we got uh, one of our one of our favorite guys that we always bring on the show here, um, hanging out with us, talking draft. So. Joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast, our main man, NBA.com's and NBA TV's college basketball draft guru, Chris Dortch of the Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook. Chris, what's happening, my friend? Thank you. It's, it's been draft, 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 man. <laughs> uh, last week, I counted up. I talked to 13 coaches. And uh, my my deal on, on the things that I do for you all is that I want to get it straight from the horse's mouth. I want to know uh, if a kid, you know, what his practice habits are like, whether he goes to class, whether he's a discipline problem. And, you know, you might think that coaches would kind of hide that, but I've gotten to know so many of them over the years, man, that they can't kid me. They, they uh, You know, they can't hide anything from me. And they usually tell me the, the straight stuff. And I really appreciate hearing that because sometimes I think, and I wrote a column about uh, that this week on NBA.com. Sometimes you might be able to identify a sleeper or two just by knowing whether a guy is a good worker, whether a guy is intelligent, whether he's a coach on the floor, kind of the things that you don't necessarily see just by watching the game. Right. Who who are some of the guys you think in this in this uh, draft class that fit that mold? I mean, who who are some of the guys that we maybe watched and saw one thing out of them but didn't see – Whatever you know, these other things they might bring to the table at the next level. Well, uh, you know, I in the column I I said that Wes Matthews was the patron saint of the undrafted masses, <laughs> and uh, there's actually a guy just like him on the team he came from, Marquette, Jimmy Butler. Right. He's a six-seven guy, uh, long like Wes is, um, shoots a ton of free throws like Wes does, <laughs> really gets down in guards like Wes does, and. Uh, the, the knock on him is, is that can he shoot from three? Uh, he's got a face-up game, but not deep face-up range. And, you know, that might uh, keep him from getting drafted. I don't know. But yeah. Buzz Williams, the Marquette coach, says he's the most intelligent player I've ever coached. Wow. So you, you look for those things. And I talked to one of their assistants, Tony Benford, and he said, you know what, Chris, the guy reminds me of Wes Matthews. So, you know, definitely him. There's a kid at Boston University named John Holland, mm-hmm. 6'5", jumps out of the gym, had unreal stats. Uh, but the, the thing that sets him, and he played well in Portsmouth, but the thing that sets him apart, too, is, is intellect. If you talk to the kid, and it's unbelievable, uh, not just uh, what he says, but the way he says it, and it turns out he's the, he's, 
his parents are both educators mm-hmm. and instilled in him the value of, of hard work so and, and getting a good education. So there's a guy who has worked hard all his life, took the one scholarship offer he had to BU because it was a great academic school. He had some other smaller schools that offered him, um, but he's worked hard, and you, you look for those kind of traits. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, and you mentioned Wes Matthews. I'm I'm out here uh, doing the Portland-Dallas series, and, uh, you know, Wes Matthews went bonkers in the you know, first quarter of game three up in Portland, man. He, you know, uh, you forget how talented some of these guys are. I watched Wes Matthews during his workout, Chris, when he came into Atlanta. You know what the, all they said about him was when after he got done working out? Yeah, we really love him. He's such a hard worker. And but we just don't know. We don't know what position he plays, and we don't know where he fits. Why, why do you think teams are always trying to fit guys into <laughs> these holes? That the, If you look at the league, the beauty of the league is that most of these guys defy whatever their, you know, uh, yeah. category might be. Well, here, here's the thing, man. You know this better than I do. Uh, you can't have all generals, man. you got to have some private. Right. <laughs> and there, for every LeBron, there, there, there's 12 other guys who are uh, good players, but they don't fit that perfect ideal. Yeah. And you're just not going to find that uh, in, in a lot of instances. You're just not. So what you've got to do is pick a guy whose flaws you can live with and whose who's, who's good traits set him apart. And that's why I always look at, does he punch a time clock? You know, does he come in early? Does he stay late? Is he smart? Is he coachable? You know, is he willing to change things? Like if he comes in uh, in the college and he has no jumper, is he willing to try to change? Uh, uh, DeAndre Liggins at at Kentucky, Uh, he's a guy that declared last week. A lot of people were shocked, but I understand that two NBA teams really like him a lot. He's a six-five-six-six, athletic, uh, hustler, defender. But the knock on him had been, well, he's not a shooter. Well, this year he shot 40% from three. Right. So obviously that tells you he's coachable. And, and Coach Cal says, you know, this kid will run through a brick wall for you. So you look at those kind of things, and then you get him in your workouts, and you see if those things are in fact true. And, you know, a lot of guys like Wes Matthews, you know, he didn't get drafted. It's incredible. And the guy's making $35 million, $35 million contract. I mean, it's a great country. And uh, for guys <laughs> like that, it, 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 it just makes it all the more interesting. The league is filled with great stories. And his is one of the best. Yeah, no doubt about it. Chris, you, I mean, you, you talk to these college coaches. What, what did they have to say about – uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of these guys who could have come out, whose names would have been, at, you know, pretty high up on people's draft boards, decided to stick around. Was it the was it the CBA and the, the ongoing negotiations and whether or not there's going to be some sort of uh, work stoppage of, of whatever, you know, capacity this summer? I mean, what was it that was kind of the prevailing mood amongst the college coaches and maybe the people, other people involved in basketball at the that level, at the grassroots level that, that – swayed a lot of these guys, Harrison Barnes and some of these other guys, to not come out? Well, Sekou, I think it's kind of a weird year in that, yeah, you've got the CBA, but there's a couple of kids who are in a couple of programs that just like it there. You know, J.J. Sullinger, his family's from Columbus. It's a basketball family. His brother played there. He likes the college experience. I don't think he uh, had any uh, idea of coming out. And he, right. he kind of hinted about that to some reporters mid-season that he just, 
you know, he liked it there. Uh, Harrison Barnes, uh, Tyler Zeller, John Henson, all in Carolina. Right. I think they thought they had a chance to win a national championship. And, and here's the thing, uh, and, and, and I say this not ever having uh, all-world basketball talent. I was all, all rec league and <laughs> all intramural league at George Mason University. But I, I say this, you know, if it were me, uh, I would want a chance to do something historic yeah. before, I, before I checked out and went to the next level. And I think these kids, especially at Carolina, think they've got a chance to do something historic. Yeah. I think that Duke fans were hoping Kyrie Irving would, would say the same thing. Uh, and it was very unfortunate that he got hurt because they had, they had a chance to do something historic. You know, Coach Cal wins his fifth. That's second all-time behind John Wooden. Right. So I think in the case of the Carolina kids, they saw a chance to be a truly great team. And plus they've got uh, James McAdoo coming in and – and PJ Harrison, a, a big shooting guard, they're loaded, man, just loaded. It's gonna, they're gonna be a great team, and I've already anointed them number one in Blue Ribbon. I, I don't have to really? see anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Chris, I mean, uh, it's Micah. Uh, you talk about you know players coming back to do something historic, and obviously UNC fits that bill. Didn't seem like my Longhorns had the same thing happen. <laughs> uh, uh, what are some of the other teams besides Texas that really uh, ended up getting hurt by uh, guys leaving early? Well, you know. Uh, Kentucky loses a bunch of kids uh, again, but they have restocked. And, you know, a, a lot of kids were wondering, wow, you know, is Terrence Jones going to be the third best forward on his team after next year? And the answer may have been no. But I think Brandon Knight was really coming into his own. And another year with him, uh, I mean, heck, he led him to the Final Four already. I, I think Kentucky got hurt a little bit. I was kind of surprised, Micah, that, that Tristan uh, decided to go. I had, I had heard that he – that he wasn't going to go, and and uh, and they they have another Canadian kid coming in uh, next year that he and Corey Joseph both know, and the, the word was that they all wanted to play and and, and try to do something special, and you know I, I guess it a lot of it depends on like Seku said about the CBA. Uh, there's a flip side to it. Uh, some agents I'm sure are are, are telling uh, they're uh, are getting the word out that hey as as these bigger name kids uh, decide not to go, then you move up. You right. know, it's like right. a Tobias Harris at, at Tennessee. He was, you know, I, I don't know if he was quite a bubble first-round pick, but he was maybe a mid to later first-round pick, and maybe his stock is rising a little bit. And, and uh, he hasn't signed with an agent yet, but his father used to be a player agent. So maybe through the grapevine he's hearing that, hey, I've got a chance to go a little higher than I might have. So, I think that's impacted some decisions as well. So, Chris, if you rate this this uh, group, you know, this group of prospects, just you know, um, in terms of, let's say we give them a letter grade, and in the, and I don't know if we go back in the history of recent drafts, <clears throat> you know, I guess LeBron's draft and you know Melo and Wade and those guys, that was pretty top heavy. You know, uh, the one after that with Dwight Howard, and I think they had eight or nine high school kids drafted, but. Most of those guys have panned out to be good players. Those are probably a drafts, you know, when you have – if you get that number of stars in a draft, I would I would figure that would rank pretty high. Where does this group of prospects just on the hoof, where do they rank in terms of a grade going into the process? I think most people say who would tell you it's a C, C minus, that kind of thing, especially with all these guys that have stayed in. Uh, I think Jared Solinger would have made a difference, Harrison Barnes, uh, John Henson. Uh, all lottery picks that that didn't come out. 
And, and you look at and, and that's what my column on NBA.com is going to be out about this week is that who are the guys that that will be uh, that will be the hallmark of this draft? And yeah. you know, there, there's not as many as there was. That's for sure. I, I think Kyrie Irving is a guy that you know, Coach K. I, I was doing some research on him, and, and I found a transcript of an NCAA. Uh, press conference he had given, and, and he said, you know, this kid could have been the best player in college had he not been hurt. And this is a guy who doesn't need to make overstatements. He's won four national titles, but he said that, and and the the kid was really put up some numbers. I think Derek Williams at Arizona is a guy that maybe uh, could do some things. He's kind of a tweener, I guess, uh, between a three and a four, but he shot 60% from three this year, guys, and I think he showed that he could play the three uh, defensively is, is another matter. But uh, So it's going to be interesting to kind of see who the big guns are three, four, five years down the road. Chris, uh, you mentioned Derek Williams from Arizona. That's a guy, at least for me, who hadn't really seen him much until the tournament was like blown away by his performance in the NCAA tournament. Do you find that scouts, the guys you talk to, that – did they put any emphasis whatsoever on that kind of, you know, performing on the big stage, or is it really the whole body of work? Well, that's a good question, Mike, and I and I think that some somewhat uh, of a big stage mentality is good. Uh, there, there's a kid at, at Washington, Isaiah Thomas. He's only five eight. He came out uh, much to the surprise of some people who who just matter of factly dismissed him because of his height. But if you look at his history, the guy's a gamer. Not a great, great shooter, more of a scorer than a shooter. But every time there's a chance to be, you know, get your nose in the fire and, and impact the game, take a, a last shot, he's right there. So, yeah, I think the, the big stage is important to some of these guys. And obviously, the farther up the ladder you get in, in the NCAA tournament, usually this was a different year with with VCU and Butler getting there. But you're you're going to run into a bunch of NBA future NBA guys, and and to see how you perform in that stage is, I think, is it's critical. No question. Well, Chris Dorch, uh, you can read his stuff on NBA.com. Great draft stuff all the time on NBA.com. You can see him on NBA TV, Blue Ribbon college basketball yearbook. CD, we appreciate you joining us, man, and uh, keep the phone handy between now and draft night. We gotta, we're got we going to have to have you on here a couple more times before we get done now. Oh, man, let's do it a bunch. I always enjoy you guys. All right, brother, take care. Okay, take care. Chris. Mike, I know, I know you're wounded about your Longhorns, uh, you know, taking that pill with, with guys leaving. But you know what? I think this is one of those years where there are going to be some teams – that are looking for certain things in this draft that, you know, we're not going to know what they become for two and three years because of the uncertainty that's that's kind of looming out there this summer. So if you want to still root for, for Tristan Thompson and, 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 and give him some Longhorn love in the future, I think you would be fair to do that. I think, I think that's a, that's a fair thing to do to not hold it against him that he, that he only spent one year in Austin. Uh, you know, I mean, especially with, Guys like Kevin Durant. I mean, you, I was say, you don't, you don't hold it against Durant. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. I mean, the honest truth is, I'm not surprised that Tristan left. I'm not surprised that Jordan Hamilton left. I think right. Corey Joseph, the point guard, people were a little surprised, but he didn't sign with an agent, so he could come back. And yeah. we won't get into too much Texas minutia, but uh, 
you know, it's hard it's hard to knock anybody that's got a chance to be a lottery pick or a first round pick for right. you know, taking their chances with it. But but, you know, Chris mentioned it. Both of those guys, Tristan Thompson and Corey Joseph, are Canadian. There's actually two kids coming in next season from Canada to yeah, uh to Austin. We thought we were gonna have this whole little Canadian, you know, family. Right, yeah. The, what's the point guard name point guard's name? Uh, Mike name? Cabongo. Cabongo, right, yeah. I saw him I think I saw him in uh in the McDonalds game, was it? Yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's I mean, everyone bad. seems to think of him as another, you know, TJ Ford, DJ Augustine, kind of continuing that uh, line right. of point guards. Right. Well, anywho, what are you gonna do, Seiko? I wanted to ask you. You know, What's up? we uh, we talked about the Pistons. We talked a little about the draft. I want to get back to the playoffs for a minute. Please what's do. your What's your overall feeling on this Knicks team and how they kind of ended up? You know, they made the playoffs, which kind of I feel like was all right. They did that. That was the one thing they really wanted to do, and sort of getting Amari and then making the trade for Carmelo. And I know from having worked in uh, professional sports that making the first round and getting swept is just the worst feeling. You work so hard for you know six, eight months, and then in a span of a week, it's over. So do you feel like are they are, should they be happy? Are they kicking themselves because of injuries and saying what could have been, or you know what? If, where, where do you think their mind's at right now? No, I, I think you're right. It's it's an empty feeling. Um, one year I covered Indiana, and they they went, they you know they made the playoffs, and, uh, and I think it was Boston that that you know swept them in the first round, and it it basically eliminates whatever you did all season. You know what I mean? Because your lasting memory from whatever went on is, oh, yeah, by the way, we got swept. You know, it's different. Even if you just win one game in the playoffs, if you're a young team or a rebuilding team, it gives you a little hope to build for the future. Um, certainly if you take it deeper than that, you know, you've seen what going six or seven games for a young team can do in, in the first round of the playoffs. We mentioned them earlier, the Hawks, uh, you know, against Boston a few years ago. Last year, Oklahoma City, you know, proving that they could play, you know, at least – with the Lakers on the big stage, totally to me set them up for for what they're doing right now. Uh, you got to be really careful though, Micah, because New York situation I think is so much different. Um, and I know we bounced around today on the show, you know, between you know non non playoff teams, you know, the draft and all that. But this is a crucial time if you're a, an outfit like the Knicks because if you make any decisions between now and and June 30th, based solely on what happened in this playoff series. And that could be, your, you know, with your coaching situation, personnel decisions, what you do in free agency, whatever, or what you think you might want to do in free agency. That is really dangerous. You don't make an emotional decision based on what what amounts to a traumatic experience. You know, you get swept. That is like, you know, you get – that's not like uh, fighting – to the to the 12th round in the boxing match. It's like getting knocked out in the first in the first round basically. And so that changes your entire mindset and everything you think about your preparation and which, you know, whatever steps you took to get to this point. The Knicks only had Carmelo Anthony since the trade deadline. So it's not like they had him you know, an entire season of training camp, but where they're going to have to be really conscious is how do we surround these guys? He, you know, uh, Amari Stoudemire, Chauncey Billups if if the team uh, picks up the option and, and brings him back for another year, which I can't imagine why they wouldn't with the uncertainty of, of what might go on this summer. Our Landry Fields, you know, uh, Tony Douglas, are all these guys the right pieces? Bill Walker, are these the right guys to have around these stars? Uh, and I think if they look no further than the Boston Celtics, a team that eliminated them, remember back when the big three got formed, 
that Boston had to make some hard decisions about who stayed and who went. You know, and and that's part of the process of building a, a team that goes to the playoffs not just once but on a continual basis. Your Hawks have done the same thing, Mike. Look at the playoff look at the playoff roster they have now and check back and look at the turnover that's going on since that first time they made the playoffs. And it, usually it's pretty it's pretty startling uh when you talk about how many faces have come and gone in that in that stretch of time. You're certainly right about the Hawks and I, I'll say this. I, I'm actually a, a firm believer, generally speaking, in what the Hawks have done. I think that continuity uh, is a highly underrated characteristic of winning in the NBA. And, you know, I think the idea, of, you know, just talking about the Hawks, of what they did is correct. It just may not be that they, you know, the right guys or, or the core that they kept is enough to get you to where they want to go. But I, I like the idea of, you know, like what Oklahoma City is doing, you know, Getting a bunch of young guys and letting them play together for several seasons. Well, and you, Mike, you can never count on the unknown, the injuries, and those sorts of things. You know, you look around, look at the New Orleans Hornets. Remember a few years ago when you know everybody thought they had a chance to kind of move into that next group of, of elite teams in the Western Conference. You know, Tyson Chandler was there. Uh, you know, Chris Paul and David West. They had this really interesting group. They get to the playoffs and make a little noise. Everybody thinks, oh, we've arrived. This is it. And then they take a dip. You know, injuries happen. You know, things that you can't foresee happening, and you take a dip and go backwards. Now they're back in this playoff mix again, Chris Paul on the big stage, you know, doing humongous things and, and playing great. It's just too hard to to gauge what could be when your margin of error is so thin. There are some teams that they don't have to worry about that. The Los Angeles Lakers, Boston Celtics, you look at their rosters, they have the kind of rosters that – Barring catastrophe, they're going to be playoff teams. You know what I mean? Barring something crazy happening, the Miami Heat are making the playoffs for the next however many years as long as their big three are in uniform. There are other teams. Philadelphia is a prime example. Um, you know, the Chicago Bulls, I don't think, are at the level. I know they got the best record in the league this year. I don't think their roster and their makeup right now tells you this is an elite team for the next however many years. Just because you have Derrick Rose and, and Joe Kim Noah and Carlos Boozer and all dang. I think there's still some some gray area with that group. They, You know, you need to see another piece maybe for them to be a, a lock in that elite group. And I think it, it, it works like that for a lot of different teams. That You know, it's a fluid situation. You don't know from year to year, based on the health of your superstars or star players, whether or not you're going to be in, in that position. That's why you see, to me, the teams like Boston and some of these others that play with that urgency. Because the Celtics, better than anyone know, that this thing is not a given. Like, you know, they have to maximize the potential of that roster right now because in a couple of years it may not look the same. Well, you know, you say that, and, of course, they went and traded Kendrick Perkins. So <laughs> you know, it, it seems like it flies in the face of that philosophy, but I agree. And, how? I mean, how much of a difference has he made in Oklahoma City? Do you feel like now that the Celtics have swept the Knicks and they've kind of, I mean, other than Oklahoma City, I guess you have to say they have the most positive momentum going right now you feel like they've weathered that storm, or are they still? Do you feel like that group of players is still kind of worried about, oh, what happens if we get in a tough series? We don't have uh, Kendrick in the middle. No, I don't think you know. To me, from round to round in the playoffs, you wipe the slate clean. You think about Orlando last year. You know, demolishing people the first two rounds, and, and you know, and then getting to the the next round and and couldn't do anything. I mean, had no recourse against Boston. You look at Cleveland two years ago. Did, I mean, did, did they drop a, a quarter against the Pistons and the Hawks? 
you know, two years ago, and then they get to the conference finals, or you know, or the, the and and just cannot figure it out. You know what I'm saying? I think there are all t- always going to be different matchups and different series that 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 give you you know reason to pause. And Boston, for whatever it's worth, you know, and handle the Knicks, and and there's no dis you know nobody should take that away from. Them. But I don't know that this Knicks team was the kind of test that prepares you for what you'll see in the next round. And, you know, provided the Miami Heat take care of their business, obviously, against Philadelphia 76ers, a whole different dynamic comes into play in that series. And and potentially, again, in the conference finals, uh, if, if Boston was to make it there. So I, I don't think that you can I'm, – I'm done in the – and I, I tweeted this out earlier. I'm done in the predictions business, you know. I – Based on the, what we've seen so far in the first round, you can take your predictions and drop kick them somewhere because you know <laughs> these teams in this year, this season, it's been too volatile for anybody to really be to, to be too comfortable with with whatever they picked before this thing started. I, I just feel like if I'm looking at them in the way they're playing and if they're healthy, just like I thought all along, Boston is going to be the toughest out in the Eastern Conference if you're talking about beating them four times, in, you know, in a seven-game series. They, who do you think is as complete and as accomplished as they are, and then do you think that team has a chance to beat them? I don't think anyone in the East. Yeah. Uh, and You know, it's one game, obviously, but it, I, the one thing I'll be curious to see how it plays out is, you know, the, the Heat cruise through the first three games. They get down early in game four yesterday. They come back, take the lead. You think it's over. And then you end up right back in that situation that everyone loves to talk about, the one for, what is it, one for 19 now, I guess, in the last 10 <laughs> seconds or, or whatever. StatsCube, baby. Check StatsCube on NBA.com and tell you all that good stuff. Exactly. Um, so, you know, that's the thing. Like, the juxtaposition of what happens when the Heat are in those situations in late games and what happens when the Celtics are in those situations in late games. I mean, I would just throw a body block at Ray Allen anytime he's anywhere near the basketball uh, in the late, I mean, he's you know, I do the Ori scale on the all ball blog. I may have to consider renaming it. <laughs> well, you got to name it the Ray Allen, the Ray Allen scale with an assist from, you know, Paul Pierce or Rajon Rondo. Um, I, again, Mike, if we if we looked at what we felt comfortable with going into the playoffs, you know, well, this team finished the regular season like that. This team finished the regular season like this. That stuff is is such fool's gold. Um, because the Lakers, you know, we watched them stumble their way into the playoffs last season. They went on to win the championship. So you kind of dismiss it a little bit. Well, they stumbled their way in again this year, you know, stumbling a little bit in the first round. But if they get to the next two rounds in the Western Conference playoffs and it's it's Lakers business as usual, then all that we think we're seeing now kind of goes for naught. Um, you know, I, I just feel like the, the best teams – in the format we have in the NBA, the best teams tend to show themselves over the course of these series. And if if there are two te- different teams standing at the end of this than the ones I predicted, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's no secret. I said that I thought the Lakers and Celtics would play again for a championship this year. I'll be surprised. I mean, if there's if it's one of the two or both of them, I'll, you know, I'll be I'll feel like okay, that makes sense. You know, it's pretty much what you expected. But if it if we don't see either one of them in the in the NBA Finals this year, that to me would confirm everything we're seeing right now, and that this is a different season. Um, you know, maybe maybe a, a quote unquote changing of the guard to some extent, but certainly 
a different season than what we thought we were in store for if we go back to training camp. Doubt. Um, and, I, you know, that's the beauty of this thing, Mike. The playoffs, I, I've been telling people, and, and I fight with, uh, you know, with the college basketball zealots and everybody else about, you know, they say, oh, you know, NCAA tournament is a great thing, blah, blah, blah. If you really love the game of basketball, like you love basketball at all its levels, this is the best of the best playing that type of bat playing that tournament style of intense basketball. Tell me you tell me you didn't enjoy watching Drew Holiday and the Sixers bow up a little bit and and, and fight the Miami Heat off. Tell me you don't like seeing Derrick Rose going against Darren Collison in that, you know, Bulls Pacers I mean, there's something for everyone to love come playoff time and I don't I don't have any shame about uh tooting the the NBA playoffs on because it delivers every year, man. It, it, I've yet to have a year where I, where I walked away and thought, man, this playoffs just didn't live up to whatever. And this happens to be one of the, you know, has the makings of one of the best seasons we've seen in a long time. So that's good for me, uh, and, and I'll take that any day. Um, and, you know, who knows? Like I said, when we come back next week on episode 54 of the Hang Time Podcast, we may have a whole different you know, vibe going based on what we see the rest of this week in these games and 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 what we're what we're doing for the time for semifinal round. So you never know, man. Um, but let, let, Mike, we 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 got to make sure we thank our our guests, uh, Vincent Goodwill and uh, Chris Dorch. Vincent Goodwill of Detroit News, Detroit Pistons beat writer, joining us, giving us some really good information on the Pistons and kind of where they're headed. Not a playoff team, uh, but but a team that has been in that mix before, you know, you never know, and a couple of years could be right back in it. And Chris Storch, uh, Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook, NBA.com and NBA TV's College Draft Guru, joining us again here on the Hang Time Podcast. Micah, thanks for filling in for uh, Lang. Um, and I know you got a million other duties to do in there, but, you know, we appreciate you kind of stepping in there and knocking it out for, for Lang. Make sure he gets better next week, man. I do I do what I can. They're uh, the tough <laughs> shoes to fill. And, you know, again, Mike, We'll be, I mean, save whatever we said this week, put it in the time capsule because we might be right back here next week talking a totally different story on the Hang Time Podcast. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. Thank you.